Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. My name is Samar Frangi. I'm CTO of a French value-added distributor called Neovad, focused on mainly three business units, user experience, digital monitoring. The other one is security, mostly data security, and the other one is cloud uh, data center and automation. Um, we distribute these uh, software vendors, mainly U.S. and French uh, software across the French territory, and we help the technical and the sales enablement of our partners in order to develop this, uh, this software in the, on the French market, mainly, and uh, a bit on the European market for some. Okay, great, great. Would you mind telling us a bit about what the digital workspace means to you? Yes, a digital workspace is uh, is how I started uh, all this all this industry. At first, I joined uh, Orange with a big uh, French system integrator with what used to be new technologies, you know, around Citrix, VMware, and stuff. It was uh, the type of technologies that interested me, all the virtual all the virtualization. We started going on with VMware, Citrix, Hyper-V, and then things evolved. All the clients goes or went through this type of architecture, so the problems came with it, you know. The client, the bigger the client, the, the complexity goes with it, and uh, it becomes very it becomes very very challenging for us. And it's something that interested me a lot, and uh, we went to it, and we have been working for into it like uh, 10 years now. Okay, that's good. And what would be when you talk about complicated? I mean, what, what what would be the sort of size of a of a customer, or, and what would be the complicated piece? The the size is is very important, but it's not the only it's the only thing. It's a major it's a maturity of the IT department. If they mm-hmm. really know what they have and they want, where they want to go, and this is really what the main the main problem I see is this, in this uh, type of project is uh, client um, jump steps. You know. Uh, burn some step and go want to go directly to sizing or to migrating and stuff, and we can quickly see that it's a nightmare. So you need to use at first assessment solution like Lakeside software to really see what are the users really using, which application, what resources, would this application be compatible with uh, the architecture we are leaning to, how many versions of specific applications, 16-bit, uh, 32-bit, 64-bit, so all the com- complexities that you might not be aware of because you are managing like an endpoint um, with an endpoint management solution, this desktop. And when it goes into centralized with all the the complexity around all this, we, we will surely have problem on the application side. So this is really the sysstrack part on, um, on analyzing user experience and user analysis. And uh, the other type is the infrastructure, you know, sizing the right, uh, the right, virtual infrastructure for, uh, let's say, virtual desktop and stuff. A bit of oversizing for big clients could be a lot of money and uh, even worse, of course, if it's uh, undersized. Okay. 
I think it's I think it's pretty safe to say that any plans that organizations had coming into this year have been sufficiently disrupted at this point. So how, how are you seeing the projects change for your clients and what kind of things are people getting up to now? Of course, this year is uh, is a very specific year. You know, it's not like all the other years. We started with lots of projects um, regarding user experience, improving user experience and stuff. But with all what happened, we know the COVID and everything associated to it, we lost a lot of projects because people were looking at value at first. They are now looking for cost cutting, for ROI. And this type of project or the digital environment monitoring project are long side cycle project and it's not necessarily that easy to to show, you know, the, the return on investment in the short term and stuff. So... It's, it becomes really complicated for your IT department to invest today in order to gain tomorrow. They don't have money today to invest, so they uh, they shifted their their priorities to other uh, to other solutions. You know, as the saying goes, one man's sorrow is another man's joy. So, joy. so we, we lost some project on the digital environment monitoring. We gained some on the um, security, on the data security, on the audit and traceability. We also uh, gained um, lots of projects with our uh, SASE solutions, uh, Secure Access uh, Service Edge, so everything related to SD1 security and uh, VPN agentless clients and stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask you, with, with the sort of everyone being pushed to work from home and the lockdowns and that, had you seen a technology shift or, or a culture shift? Uh, I think after the COVID, all the remote working aspect will be completely uh, revolutionized. You know, yeah. there are the, the productivity part. People, uh, while using a solution like uh, Systrack, could manage the product, could uh, measure the productivity of their users, and they see that people work, of course, not all, but most people work at least the same amount that used to at the office. And uh, myself, I work, for example, in Paris. Uh, a square meter in Paris is really, really expensive. So mm. people are looking on reducing the, the, the surface, let's say, of their um, of their office in Paris and do like uh, 50% work from home, 50% in the office. And the ROI, uh, ROI, sorry, in English, is uh, is really straightforward uh, with this. And of course, there is a technical aspect because the user working from home, it's it's not the same SLA, it's not the same facility and ease of uh, of measurement of productivity of analysis and stuff. It's not the same. It's very, very more complex to do, of course, level one support, for example. You know, you can't go to the desk of the user and see what's going on. So you need to be well prepared. The COVID was a bit of a harsh move, let's say. So people weren't really that prepared. So SysTrack um, released what we call SysTrack kits. It's mm-hmm. um, it's a kit, let's say, of dashboard and uh, and reports in order to help these companies measure what's going on, how to make it better, and are they are they as an IT department prepared to manage this type of uh, new usage or no? See, I can see Heather smiling there as, as you talk. Well, it's just interesting <laughs> that because you know I I worked on a lot of that messaging just so to hear it reflected back from a partner is very it's just it's it cool I guess because um, that was something you know when 
when everything started changing, we, you know, kind of came together as a company, like, how can we provide, you know, how can we help our customers right now? Um, how can we help the industry right now? Um, you know, do we have a role here? I think it was really hard to just even decide to kind of step out and offer something because we were, you know, I think there was a lot um, of fear at the time is of appearing, you know, opportunistic or trying to take, you know, advantage of a crisis or something like that. So, um, but, you know, our engineering team really came together to create those dashboards and work closely with customers to say, like, you know, what what could we show you right now that would really be valuable? Um, and that's where that that remote work kit came from is um, that customer feedback and, you know, needing to ultimately see what's happening for my end users now that they're at home and um, what kind of experience impacts are they having and then how can I make it better? So probably a question to both of you. I mean, what was the response to that? What's good with uh, SysTrack, I don't want to do lots of publicity, but what's good with SysTrack is mm-hmm. by default it collects all the data, you know, when, so when the new use case is, is here, like remote office, the, the data is already here. You just need to know how to analyze it. So clients, uh, as I said before, COVID was really harsh. It, it was not like planned, let's say uh, in June, we'll go in, um, in uh, confinement in September, so take your time. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no, it was like uh, in a, in a two-day uh, two slot, everyone was at home. So uh, the, the, the knowledge of, of what they used to do and what they are going to do is really important in order to to guarantee at least the minimum to start with. And of course, it's really, the first week was harder. The second one was easier because you learned a bit and you were able to, to explore the data the, the way you wanted to and the way it helps you and helps your end user. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from, from my side, I think, you know, we started thinking, okay, how can we help people plan the move to remote work and then within, you know, a week or two, it, it became apparent that there's really not, we're past the planning stage. Like people just need to move home and how can we, how can we help with that? Um, so we really shifted to, to focusing more on the monitoring piece and of course still kind of reverse planning or planning after the fact as you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from, from my perspective as a, as a marketer, I guess, um, you know, the reception is really good. You know, people definitely heard about it and, um, you know, we were offering it for free. Um, we still are. So, you know, a trial of it that people can can go, you know, sign up for and, and check out. And I think that helped as well. Just, um, you know, being very open and, and available to help. Yeah, I think that was if, if there was anything about this the response to COVID it was about being helpful. Mm hmm. And I think that, you know, those, those sort of projects that you normally plan for three months before you start letting people do things to do, to do that in 48 hours. Uh, I'm sure there's many, well, there's probably still many IT guys and, and business people are still stressing about getting people to work and, um, getting them operational. Um, I know anecdotally one of the, the, the forums, I mean, they mentioned they went and bought basically every laptop they could find in the nearest computer shop. Didn't even matter what the spec was, just because yeah. they hadn't planned for that, they, they had desktops, they had everything else, and people, half the people didn't have anything to use. Um, of so. course, it was, you know, it was, uh, you didn't have time to plan, so you didn't, so you can't say like, I will have a, a centralized Citrix environment where everyone will connect to so BYOD and stuff. It, you were 
way beyond that. It was, uh, you are at home, now how can we, I don't want to say help, but how can we do to make you productive? Because it's, you're costing us money in a, in a way. So, uh, so that's why all the data we've gathered before using SysTrack or using um, workspace analytic tools are really helpful in this type because you, like with personas and stuff, you can say exactly who is doing what and you can take decisions. It's all about decisions with, with this type of product. It's not like I will list uh, an Excel sheet with all my users and for each one, how, why, why would I map in? You know, this, if you start this, if you are a company with 100 users, it's okay. But when you are 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000, it's practically impossible to group your user in a way that you can make quick decisions, but based on the real actual accurate data. So it was all this that with the um, remote working, uh, let's say, kit, had people move smoothly to this um, to this transition. You mentioned, um, sorry, do you want to go? No, I, I guess I'm just curious, Ryan, how, how different you think your life would be right now if you were still working at, at a large, super large organization managing all of this. Um, sure. Uh, I think I had a lot of care. Um, not that I have much to begin with, but but in some senses, I think fortunately the two organisations I've worked with were both kind of prepared for this. Um, not necessarily as the primary objective, but but as an objective anyway. So um, both of them had put in place VDI infrastructure as the go-to for the majority of the workers anyway. Um, but the, the, the business cases were either around data protection or data leak protection. Um, and the other one was supposed to save money, but you'd never save money with VDI. It's, it's, this has been in buying a whole bunch of, of devices. Um, but I think the, I guess the benefit within those two organizations is, is the, is the ability to scale up and put more people on the platform in an emergency. Would have probably been there because in both organizations there was, you know, there was a, a, a footprint that was designed for that kind of stuff. Um, did anyone thought they'd actually turn it on and use it? Um, I probably, probably no one thought they would. Um, but judging from the sort of LinkedIn stuff I'm seeing and, and the odd sort of phone call here and there, uh, it would have been stressful the first couple of weeks, but it probably would have petered down to normal, normal, it would have gone from sort of normal stress down to a little bit less stress and carried on because that's it's always in that space you know, it never goes too far so but it's been interesting sorry just to give you sort of a, a converse chatting to some of these businesses that that haven't had a vdi or a, a terminal services environment or whatever and they're trying to now operationalize as i say buying laptops from anywhere um haven't really ever picked a vpn client and i have to go find a vpn client so they don't know even where to start um I think that's a far more stressful situation to be in than the sort of stress of a bank that's already doing that kind of stuff by, by design. Of course. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you mentioned the security aspect. And I, was, I was curious to know, was it, was it more um, security because of people working remotely or was that because companies have taken the opportunity to, to, to bolster the security projects? You know, regarding the COVID or, or globally with digital environment? Well, with, with your products that you, that you work with, your security products, you mentioned that security kind of went yeah. up. Uh, security product, it's called Networks Auditor, and as, as it states, it's uh, here to tell you who did what, when, and where using data. So when your users are working from home, 
who accessed which data, who read, who tried to access which document, and mainly with Office 365, is OneDrive. You are losing control, you know, because you are not protected with, with all the investment you did with an on-premise security solution. You don't mm-hmm. have your local DLP. You don't have your firewalling. You don't have all the security. It's mainly someone behind the box in uh, at home, you know, uh, consulting uh, what it might be really dangerous data. So you need to have control on what did what and where. In case you have a problem, you can see who is responsible. And uh, most importantly, to be alerted on an abnormal activity in order to be able to react. Yeah. It's mostly about keeping control over uh, over dangerous data. And that, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, when someone's in an office, they tend to not do, you know, the sort of dodgy things. But it's very easy to install, uh, if you haven't got the right rights in place, uh, another file sharing application like Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever it is. And as you bring things down with OneDrive, just copy them across. Yeah, it- it, it depends on the maturity of the security. If you, you know, there are solutions that prevent you from doing this. It's uh, You have, for example, Casby solution. I, mm. I, I personally distribute a bit glass part of it. It can block you from sharing, from downloading, from uploading. You have, it has DLP to check which document you are downloading. Does it have a sensitive word based on GTPR library or stuff? And it will block it or it will encrypt it or it will... You know, it depends. It's always the same question with security. How much money are you willing to spend depending on the capacity of your business? It's always where, where do I put the, the arrow, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you got to balance that usability versus security versus functionality. Yeah. yeah. Always tricky. And there's, you know, a bank will invent, the bank will invest much more in securities than, uh, I don't know, another company with, no real secret, you know, service company like a consulting company and stuff. Uh, mm. So, with the and this might be a bit of a loaded question, but with with the way that the the French law is around working hours and and sort of email out of hours and that, do you think those will change now with remote working? No, <laughs> French <laughs> people are very very complicated. You know, it's. Uh, and technology-wise, it's a huge market. You know, every software vendor wants to be established in the French market. You have very, very big companies around banks, around oil and stuff, around services, but they are not at all early adopters. So it's not easy at the technological aspect. You need, the, you know, a, a U.S. company will first open its offices in the in the U.K. This is normal and legitimate because of the language facility. But before going you uh, to France, you will, go, you will go to Amsterdam, you will go to Germany, and then hopefully go into the French market because it's, it will take a lot more seeding of the French market that you will do on all the other European. And then the people themselves, you know, I'm French, I want to be attacking French people, but the law are, are, let's say, how do you say it in English, are limiting the uh, the capacity and even more with the remote office. We have a very, very nice thing, well, the thing that was done in French. It was the, um, the state helping every company with what we call a partial um, – you know, a partial work, let's say. So uh, if you used to uh, gain a hundred grand, the company yeah. will pay you 50. The state will give you, the, will pay you the rest, but you work only 50%. So 
So, uh, but you need to prove that you didn't send email after uh, your, you know, the fifty percent. You didn't call, uh, use your cell phone and stuff. So it's more than a trust, uh, trust relationship between the states and companies, and it's always mess. You know, they, I think they audited like three thousand companies so far. Eight hundred and fifty were doing nonsense. So, <laughs> so it's. <laughs> You know, it's always it's it was always the problem here. The state is, uh, and I, I'm going to politics. I I don't think I should because I, I stop it. Because I, I, I mean, I remember something along those lines that you couldn't, if you sent an email to to a French person, in theory, they wouldn't reply after a certain time. Uh, and in some cases, I was whether it was true or not, was you you weren't allowed to even send the email if it was after their time. Um, or expect a response. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And typically, the old product of security I we talked about a few minutes ago was uh, was like was for this. Did someone send an email or not at what time? Uh, did, did did someone connect in the weekend? Uh, so all this info was also uh, important. And that's part of IT's job to monitor those things. Yeah, security IT, the IT mm. security team. Yeah, it's, I mean it's. It, Working, working in certain organizations, you have a function for surveillance, you know, obviously with, with trades going on and that kind of stuff. So you do, you do, you are watching for, for user patterns and, and seeing, um, if someone d- does something out of band. Uh, in fact, there was a case where they found a guy who was doing illegal trades because he happened to log in the one time late at night, which he didn't usually do or something to that. I can't remember the exact story. So, so there is, there is something to, to check in that sort of stuff. It's obviously an issue on a privacy point of view, but okay. uh, it's, it's another debate. But necess- not necessarily, you know, you, you're not going to the data itself. You're going on, only into activity. Yeah. So it's not really personal. If you're using his company account and connecting to a company resource, uh, no, it's not personal anymore. You know. Well, well, that's exactly it. It's, you sign your life away when you when you sign that contract, and and it basically says if you use a corporate device, you've been monitored. So, yeah. uh, even to the extent of reading your email, which a lot of people don't realize. So. This, this reminds me a bit of our, our Japanese lakeside team um, came to a meeting once with a story of a customer who wanted to use Sistrack to make sure employees weren't working over 40 hours a week. So to actually monitor productivity in the sense of not being overly productive. And I was just stunned because no one's ever, <laughs> I'd never heard anyone raise that issue before. So the cultural differences are, are interesting. No, that's, that's an interesting, because I've actually heard the, one of the things that I don't know how true this is, is that if the boss works late, everyone works late. And if the boss goes to sing karaoke, they all go to sing karaoke. It's, it's very much that sort of thing. I don't know how true that is. Yeah. I've also, I've also heard some stuff like, you know, you, you are, when you sleep at work, like uh, for 10 or 20 minutes, it's something good. It means you're working too hard and you can't anymore and you should sleep. In mm-hmm. French, it's not the same, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you say that. I enjoy being at home for COVID because I've managed to get a 10-minute nap in every every afternoon for a meditation session. It's made a big difference. I mean, I'm going to struggle if you have to go back to work and I can't do that. <laughs> Samir, I am interested, um, you know, just based on your um, sort of profile information that you you filled out for us, um, 
why in your career you sort of decided to make the shift from infrastructure to the workspace and kind of your your journey there. I, if you, if I you want first, to talk about yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I started with infrastructure, so it was mainly VMware, EMC, NetApp, all the storage and the uh, the hi- hypervisor part of it. But I'm I don't like to I don't want to be um, not arrogant. I don't want to do self uh, <laughs> self promotion self promotion. <laughs> but I'm not someone who likes to settle, you know, on uh, on specific technologies. So it was I was feeling that I was repeating myself. Mm. Same products, even if you change the, the software vendor, you know, it would be like instead of clicking on the left, you click on the right. But basically, it's the same. I wanted new challenges. I was lucky because I had um, the confidence of my management and they shifted me also to, they created practically a new line, which are, will be working on the um, infrastructure part and the digital environment marketing and in ways that are necessarily, you know, related. Uh, the impact you have as a VDI infrastructure, for example, on the net, on the storage is, is a huge. So knowing both sides of the, of the equation was really a value for me. And then it was interesting for me because for a small project, of course, not a huge bank with 100,000, but for a, a client like 100, 300, 500 users, I was able to handle a, a project from the start. So let's say architecturing the storage and the hypervisors and the Citrix or VMware part and doing all the user analysis, uh, all the assessment type. It was something I, I wanted to do and, and, and it interested me. Then it was not necessarily my decision, but we we had the, the big project we have was mostly related to Citrix. So I was in a way more specialized in the digital environment monitoring, and I have a few years working specifically on this, being a Citrix architect and stuff. So now it like tagged along with me, and I was more specialized on this part, but I always kept a look on the infrastructure, how it evolved and how it could impact uh, the digital environment monitoring. This was my first, let's say, six, seven years of work. And then when I joined Neovad, Neovad is a value-added distributor. You know, it's we are not looking to sell known products like Microsoft, like Citrix, like VMware. Um, we specialize in um, in U.S. product or or local French product that are aren't developed in the French region, but we started looking at assessment and digital analysis monitoring and environment monitoring solution because we came from this. Me and my uh, boss, who is the founder of Neovad, we came from this uh, Citrix world, so we are we knew where the pain uh, pain points were. We knew there is a gap to be filled uh, on this side, and that when we contacted the uh, Lakeside through our Citrix uh, knowledge, let's say, and we went into the journey together. See, yeah, it just it seems nice to have that knowledge um, all the way through because I know, you know, one of the issues that gets talked about a lot is just the silos that exist inside of IT and how those teams aren't necessarily talking to each other, and that's where, you know, things can fall through the cracks and, and break down. Of course. So when you go into a project, I mean, how do you start a project? What, what, do you, what are the sort of first steps you take if it's a digital experience monitoring project? What, 
what I do at first is really understand the client. What I mean is uh, what they are aiming to do, what is exactly they are aiming to do, not uh, like uh, it's a new thing now, let's do a digital monitoring project. What are your pain points today that you want to solve? How are you go- how are you trying to solve them today and what are, why aren't you successful? Mm. Uh, which are the uh, – because the, the biggest mistake, I think, is thinking that it's an IT project. Mm. It, it isn't at all. It's involving, like, many departments, um, people from – how do you say um, – People in the, in the, knowing the application and the work applications and stuff, you need to really understand all the workload, how user use the application. Most, it's far more important than how it's installed or does it, you know, does it need the drivers or stuff like this or the technical aspects you can manage. And with this product like Systrack, you practically don't have to think about it. It's mm. done out of the box, but it's understanding the complexity around this. Uh, this type of project is uh, the return on investment. You need to multiply use cases because if you just say, I need to, uh, I know I need to know if you, my users are happy or not, you will never go to, go to the end of the project. It will be too costly for this, uh, this type of information. Yeah. So you need to, to, to think out of the box, showing them all the alternative on the help desk, on the optimization of the help desk, on the ease of decision making and ease of decision making. It will involve the CTO, it will involve the smallest engineer, it will involve the person responsible of the work application. So it's really trying to find harmony between all this, uh, all this, let's say, components, even if they're human, I don't know if you say it, but uh, to, to be able to, you know, once you get, you have all the data, you interviewed, you interviewed the user, see how, how they work, why they work, you have the data gathered from SysTrack on the real usage, the real uh, application and uh, resource consumption and that's what what I want to call the political aspect of the project when you have all this data you are good to go and you know that where you are going and you know that you're gonna go there you might have like small problem around the way but you know it eventually you will get there but mm. if you say okay let's jump into it and see what we where we will go it will be really really complicated to, mm. to not lose money let's say and and you do you Agree that it's worth focusing on a small group of users first, and then working out to bigger, or do you look at a small? I would say no, unless you. I, I would say like ten or twenty percent of the of the users is mm-hmm. minimum, and then you don't. You know, there's common sense. You don't take uh, all the users in the same department. You don't uh, analyze data in August where everyone is on vac- on holiday. So uh, you you need common sense, but I would say like. 10 or 20% of the users and they need to be well chosen, let's say. Uh, if you have different profile, we go back to this personal discussion, but you have different profile, you need to, to take a representative portion of each profile if all of them are going to this, uh, this project. Not, let's say, people in France, for example, tend to say, okay, I will give you uh, the site in uh, Paris. Okay, maybe all they, they all do the same thing. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, they are close to the data center, so all the complexity, latency, networks, I won't have it. So I need, I really need something accurate and uh, the more representative possible. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, personas is very powerful. If you can get that, if you can get at least yep. a good, let's say five personas to find, maybe seven at the most, um, that definitely helps you to target it. Um, 
I mean, what what are your your thoughts on on the sec- on security design as part of your approach to a project? What what we've seen in France mostly is GDPR. Now it's uh, the um, the personal data. So uh, what websites are being uh, used? How many times? What applications are being used and stuff? So depending on the product you're using and the project, it could be easy or complicated. For example, for instance, SysTrack, you can say, okay, if I'm in a transformation project, I don't care about user. I will anonymize everyone. And it's what's, it's, what's interesting for me is uh, the big data aspect is uh, who's using what. And uh, mm. I don't really care who's the person, uh, who's the person behind it. And when you say, for example, when I want to see who's using websites, you can say, okay, I only want to check websites like uh, of my own company, like uh, uh, star.mycompany.com. If someone goes to Facebook, first, I don't care if he's happy or not when he's going to Facebook. And, uh, you know, I don't want to know it. So, But when he goes into his intranet or his local CRM or stuff like this, this I want to make sure he has a good experience and he doesn't have impact on productivity. So the GDPR aspect is really important. Then uh, you have the uh, the how to access uh, how to access uh, data is also something relevant in this type of project. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was wondering about is is the um, one of the discussions with one of our other guests is around security by design and how that often isn't part of the initial planning or you've got all the legacy things that haven't been designed with it in mind and now you've got to retrofit it back on, which adds a lot of cost. Um, not only people and, and financial cost, but also the, the time you've lost has is, is, is meant that you've had to catch up a lot more because you're building uh, it in later on. Um, and, and you mentioned GDPR, but I was thinking about some of the other sort of regulations like a banking, banking regulations or... Sort of Knox Day and... Uh, exactly. exactly. Um, do, you, do you find um, when you talk with your customers, uh, you know, that they have a, a sort of common set of problems or do you find that they, they are fairly unique because of what industry they're in? Yeah, you know, there are, there are, let's say, a common problem is the lack of knowledge of the IT department. Right. People think they know how their users work, but they actually don't. Yeah. People think they know which application is really used, but they actually don't. And this is what you see when you finish the, the let's say, what I call the assessment part of the, of the project. You tell them, okay, you see this application. For this one, you have like 12 versions. And of the 12 versions, there are only two that are being used by 99% of the population. So this, the, the rest of the 10, okay, bye. So it's, uh, it's really the people think they know. But eventually, but in reality, I, let's say they don't know. And, you know, it's not easy to tell them that you don't know. Let me show you how it, uh, how it goes. You know, it's always the speech around, around this. Thing. I'm not here to tell you what to do. It's, it's for your own good that I'm telling you to, to do this, you know. Well, well, you, you said it earlier. I mean, it's about making good decisions, but you need good data to make good decisions. Um, and you're removing the opinion from the evidence. The more data you have, the more accurate you can be in decision making. You know that's yeah. that's for it's big. It's a big data concept. And you, you asked me uh, earlier about how I see the, the digital environment in uh, in a few years. I I think the biggest problem it will be IoT because IoT it will be gener- 
users will evolve. You know, ten uh, years ago you you were doing something. Today you are in a beyond uh, environment. Now we are going to remote working with and without beyond and stuff like this. And mm. all this is data and data and data. Now you have Tesla cars connected to everything. You have uh, and you, you, the the idea of the of the work itself. It's be you know work is not a place like uh, Citrix you to say. So you need to be able to to adapt to everything. And the IoT part is really interesting, but the comp- technical complexity behind it is that it's like raw data and it's a massive quantity of data. Systrack mm-hmm. does this really, really well today with, let's say, only 10,000 uh, data points collected. But with IoT, we will be go- speaking about l- more, uh, very, very, very large numbers. And that's uh, an architectural uh, Problem for for the digital environment monitoring. If we keep the same speech uh, like we we want to to measure user experience and productivity across every device, make sure he's happy everywhere. You know, this tracks I have today: the Android agents, the Chrome OS agents, the Mac, Linux, Windows. It's always on the ideas. It follows the user wherever he is and make sure he's happy. The next step will be IoT, and it will be not like Android. It will be a complete different. Yeah, I, mean, I, can, uh, I don't know how, how to say it. Well, IoT is one of those areas that that doesn't have a lot of governance in place. So, so a lot of those devices are built without any security or yeah, security is also an issue, of course. Stories. Sounds good. I mean, I think you know we we wanted to end on sort of the, what the what the future of work looks like. I know we you know with the IoT we were sort of getting into the future discussion, but I guess Samir, is there anything? Do you have any other sort of visions for? For where we're going? Uh, in the digital environment, I think we'll be shifting more into, I already said, the IoT part, and we'll be only, the, and even more the cloud uh, aspect of it because, you know, with all the flexibility, scalability. For instance, we talked about COVID. If you had all your environment in the cloud, who cares about remote working, you know? Whether you're accessing from home or from the, uh, or from the office, since, since you have, uh, let's say, a good internet connection, you can have access to the resources with all the security and stuff. So lots and lots of workloads will be shifting uh, to the cloud with with the IoTs. Only the main two uh, things I, I think I see in the future for the digital environment monitoring. Great. And if, if anyone wants to um, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? He can, of course, drop me an email, call me, wherever you have my, you guys have my contact. You can share it, uh, no problem. Sorry if anyone wants to uh, get in touch for any specific <laughs> reason, no problem. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and having this conversation. Thank right, you, thank Ezra, you. and thank you, Ryan, for, for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes at the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.